Pod Boys Productions. Give me a mountain and nothing to do. Give me the sunshine, give me a do. Give me something simple and true. All I need is sunshine and smooth, refreshing mountain dew. All right, hello Twitch, hello empty void of the internet. It's your boy Pod Drew back with a little movies are relevant episode podcast episode. We've got the Oscars coming up just two days from now. Everyone around town super interested. Well, maybe that's not the case, but me and my boy over here, E Nam Eric, are gonna talk that a little bit and specifically one main oscar nominated film that we watched and a lot of other stuff what how are you doing e-nom i'm all right just uh ready to give your listeners this uh congress godzilla uh pod that they've been waiting for i know it's uh it's hot in the streets and obviously it's up for it's up for best picture this week yeah. you know that's pretty exciting oh you say your listener i mean they're your listeners as well yeah. You're right. I'm here too. They're also my listeners. What up, listener? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. We shouldn't make it plural. It's probably just one person. Yeah, yeah. Is it? I guess Mortal Kombat came out today, so that probably didn't uh, isn't eligible for this year. So we'll be we'll be looking at, at the nominees uh, next year, 2021 or two, whatever you call it. To right, see, right. Uh, it'll be it'll be sweeping next year's Oscars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess they don't do best ensemble, but it'll probably win best ensemble at, at the SAG or whatever. Yeah, I did actually watch. Uh, you just reminded me. I forgot I did, but I did watch Godzilla. What What is the actual name of it? Godzilla versus King Kong. Man, I think it's Kong versus Godzilla. Kong. Yeah, I don't so. know who comes first. <clears throat> Kong is a little more. Um, it's not like Alien versus Predator, where clearly like the predators are more humanoid. So like, and the aliens are just like name it like creatures you know whatever sure like parasites basically so on that you're like all right well I, i'm kind of rooting for you know humans kind of side with the the predator and this is not quite that but i still think the kong is a little more human friendly you know what i mean you're gone well, yeah it. i mean the close connection yeah. you know long documented between humans and apes it, it makes sense that we would uh, identify with kong whereas godzilla is a giant lizard who shoots atomic breath out of his mouth so. Yeah, and I didn't watch the other Godzilla movie that I guess came out the other year or whatever, uh, but... You didn't watch Godzilla, King of the Monsters? <laughs> I didn't get to that one, but I did, I mean, I think it was the same characters in this, from that, or some of them. They seem to be implying that it's good in that one, and it was, like, helpful to humans, but in this one, he was, at least for most of the film, he was against them again, even though, because the, the humans were, like creating like a mecha godzilla thing or whatever but i enjoyed the king kong storyline a little bit more in that one but i didn't hate the movie it was it was entertaining enough it was fine i'm I'm gonna watch those giant monster movies it's been noted before but i would love to know what movie rebecca hall thought she was in um i like rebecca hall she's she's, yeah i know she's great (laughs) just the way she reads these stupid ass lines as, well, that's why you get English actors. Even though I don't think she was being... Was she in, even her English accent? In the uh, I don't remember already. Yeah. 
it was it was a flat like quasi untraceable uh, generic American accent. I think mid Atlantic. You didn't have the issue you had with our our girl Molly no, with her no, promising I, young woman. I accent. never have that issue. Nominated for if we're talking about real nominations, not joke ones. Uh, she's of course nominated for best actress. We we talked that movie on the show already. So for anyone new, the format now for movies that are relevant is we're mainly focusing on one newer movie each episode and pairing it with one classic or older movie. Sometimes I've seen that film and sometimes I hadn't yet seen it, which is the case this episode where the pair film is Tampopo, the Japanese film from 1985. And of course, talking about Minari as the main film here, the new film, which is nominated. We also did Nomadland another month, so three of the eight Oscar-nominated films will have been uh, discussed by yours truly and his truly. Is that a thing you could say? His, like, about his truly over here? Ours truly, yes, of course, that would make more sense, but I was trying to be too cute with it. Nomadland, I think, is maybe the favorite. Does that sound right to you? Uh, No, the favorite came out in 2018. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. The uh, that did not win, but uh, it was that was nominated for an Oscar back then. No, uh, sorry, Nomadland is considered maybe the front runner. You got something for that one? Uh, no, uh, not on the spot. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe Nomadland is the favorite, and it's one of the better movies I saw in the last twelve months. Like it makes sense. Yeah, I think you liked it a little more than I did. I, I still thought it was. A, very good and well made and everything and uh Lake Dormant is great. I would I certainly wouldn't be surprised if she takes home another another one of those little golden fellas. Are they gold? Yeah, they must be right. Uh or they, that that appearance at least. But yeah, I wasn't you know what, I watched a movie recently actually we're gonna talk about what we what we've been watching as well before we get into the bulk of the show called Leave No Trace from I believe twenty eighteen as well. Speaking of the favorite from that year, I, I, uh, 2018 is actually... I've watched a couple of 2018 films recently, and I think last year we were all talking about 2019 was like a big year for a lot of big... There's a lot of good stuff that came out, right? And 2018 yeah, yeah. didn't have that shine, you know? But actually, it's a pretty deep year in hindsight, I'm finding out. But this movie's it's called like Leave... The, it's, like a, it's like a deeper bench, and everybody everybody's started quality, but you don't have the, uh, you don't have the all-star films from, from that year. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so, but this movie, Leave No Trace, uh, it, it kind of had some similar vibes to Nomadland in a sense about a person, as a father and daughter in this case, moving around, not having one home. They're more living in the woods and stuff. And it was more a little about, about doing it because of PTSD rather than the economy or not knowing what to do with your life, yeah, that nomad lifestyle or whatever. But but there was some similar, it reminded me of it in, in, in some ways. And in some ways, I kind of liked it a little more. I don't know. It has Ben Foster, who I always like as the father. And this girl named, it was the girl from Jojo Rabbit as the main character in that as well. Or the, the, the that two is main characters. Scarlett Johansson. No, Yo- it was not Johansson. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting if Scarlett Johansson played it. Who is I would say well, thirty eight or whatever playing a Ben Foster's daughter and something would be in, an interesting take. Yeah, but no, uh, the girl, you know, the the I guess the the girl was hiding out, the Jewish girl, and 
Jojo Rabbit, uh, was really good in this film. And I, I saw the only reason I watched this in the first place is because, or even heard of it, is because I was looking at, uh, Edgar Wright has a movie coming out later this year called, I believe, Last Night in Soho, which, you know, I told you about these giallos that I'm really into uh, from the, this, like, 70s. I, I'm kind of excited about that one, too. Okay, so you know about it. So that's like a neo giallo, I think, going to be, or it's like, it's going to be in that style because I assume Edgar Wright's a big fan of them as well. I mean, a lot of like film type people are, but so I was looking at the cast list of that, and and this girl's the 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 main character, I guess. So I was looking at what else she did, which wasn't much else, but that then this one, um, or I think Edgar Wright even said in what I was reading, I saw her in. Let me make sure, let me just look up her name since I'm talking about her so much. Uh, oh, I the, saw her in Thomas Sam McKinney. Yeah, that's right. So she saw her in this Leave No Trace movie, and that's what he wanted, he wanted to cast her in the Soho film, I guess. But yeah, I, I really recommend it. And yeah, like I was saying, it's it gave me some some No Man's Land vibes. Uh, also with 2018 and I also watched this movie called In Fabric, which is also like a neo Jalo kind of. Tell me more. Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe. Well, it's just um, director. I've seen two of his other films, too. I think he may only has these three. His name is Peter Strickland, a British director. I think his more famous movie is called Barbarian Sound Studio, which has some Jello vibes a little bit too. But all the three movies I've seen from him, they're like, um, or films, they're all uh, they all take place in a world. This in Fabric, the world was a little more grounded, even though it had like um, actually this was giving me some vibes at times. The remake uh, that we talked about of Suspiria. Cause there's some type of witch type elements to it, but it's very giallo-ish and like it's cinematography and music certainly has that super like Italian seventies music style. And like this giallo has these like zooms and close-ups and all this stuff. I mean, he was doing that too, but it's about a dress that this woman, middle-aged woman buys to like go on dates. Cause she's, recently divorced i guess she has an older kind of a deadbeat kind of son who's like in his early 20s living in home still who is also dating brienne of tarth and <laughs> she's very rude to the mom and everything and anyway the mom the, the woman buys this red dress and it's like sold at this this shop so like his his films all the ones all his films have, are like kind of like in a world where it's like not quite the real world though like i was saying like it's like i it's it's very hard to describe but so what this color woman, the dress is it deep red? It's uh yeah it's uh it's a uh, what I'm trying to think Rosso, what's Rosso the profundo. Uh, Rosso profundo yeah but the woman that sells it is maybe implied to be a witch or involved with witches or something or some type of magic and she's like she has like all this yeah uh, she's like uh, Middle Eastern I think but she has all this like flowery dialogue um that's like that people are just like. It's maybe supposed to be like the 80s or something. They don't really say, but it seems like that time frame or that uh, technology or whatever is around. But she's like doing all this like sales stuff of the dress and of the store and a bunch of different scenes, like all this crazy like flowery language. But then the people just like talk normally, though they're the patrons of the store, but they don't also register that, that this is weird, you know, whatever. But anyway, the dress seems to start causing trouble, like very bad luck. A lot of bad things start happening to the woman. And then the actual like, halfway through the movie or a little more than halfway something happens on spoiler but then it, you start seeing another character 
with the dress or other characters with the dress and bad things happen to them too. So uh, I recommend that though. It's called In Fabric. In Fabric. Okay. When did that come out? 2018. That's why I brought it up again too because I was saying, I was talking about the old deep bench over here on 2018. Uh, What's a good current like NBA modern reference for a deep bench here? Nuggets? Yeah, I guess. The Nuggets go they're going to need that bench now. Jamal Murray, like, tore his ACL or something, right? All right, dude. Unfortunate. But well, the Lakers probably going to win again. Anyway, what have you been uh, watching anything else uh, new recently? Or, or uh, you know, we could, we were kind of talking about the Oscar movies, too. But um, Yeah, know, the only yeah. thing that I've watched that, like, really, really stood out, um, I've been watching some bad horror movies, and then I watched um, what ended up being a pretty good one. Uh, mm. from 2020 called The Empty Man. It's like two and a half fucking hours long, but it's like this cult movie and like we've overused, it's just like Kafka-esque where like we've overused the word lynching uh, so much that it no longer means anything, but it gives me like, it, it gives serious like Mahalo Drive vibes. What it means is people are just copy off him a ton still, or he's just so... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's super mysterious and there's like a, there's, there's a constant like danger from this cult that he's chasing after and also there is or isn't an actual supernatural entity that this um this detective character is following and uh hijinks ensue man it's it's really fucking tense and weird and cool i i had a great fucking time okay i just googled this is a 2020 joint you said it's long. This one you said is long. I don't see the, t- the time on here for some reason, but it's oh, over it's two like goddamn hours. Yeah, mm. yeah, that could be a tough, but uh, that that does sound interesting. Oh, Stephen Roots in in this, he's always good. Oh, and someone on YouTube. Oh, Chris Stuckman on YouTube. The empty man deserves a cult following. Has a video from a month ago saying that. Yeah, I I agree. All right, another well, fun because there's a cult in movie see what works on two levels you see uh no i'm only able to see things on one singular level so no i can't i can't join you there but yeah a polygon article also says the empty man is the best most underrated horror movie of the moment the very 2021 type of headline yeah so so that's a wreck from you it sounds like obviously and then you saw some bad ones uh yeah, I've seen some bad ones that I don't need to uh, that I don't need to talk shit about on uh, on your podcast. There's it, I, I, okay. I, I have a shot at subscription. Eric, it, it's all our it podcast, all not mine. It's ours. All Come right, on. man. I know. Thank you. I don't uh, want to distance yourself, but <laughs> too bad. Oh, did you see? You know what? Speaking of, I think this was a Shutter film. And speaking of, like. I guess this could be an interesting pairing within Fabric, even though they couldn't be more different. But there, there's something to do with like maybe a killer uh, article of clothing. That movie slacks, like S L A X X. Oh, I, uh, yeah. I haven't seen that one. I saw another YouTube video um, that was talking about this, and I, and I was like, maybe I will give this a look because uh, it's only like 72 minutes or something. So the opposite, sure. like super short. I'll give it a watch. So I could see this maybe becoming like a cult classic also or not classic maybe but a cult favorite or something it's like very obvious but there's some some good parts like it's literally though like a, a killer pair of jeans at like a i think this is a 2021 movie even like it might have came out 
got released on Shutter maybe in like February or something. But like it's uh, um. Turn them into killers, or does it kill them? No, it literally kills them, <laughs> the people. So like, uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. You you might want to watch it, but yeah, it's like it's like a, a critique, you know, of the um, fat. I think they call it fast fashion or something like that. Like, right. yeah. So it could be, could be like I said, a very interesting pairing within fabric, but. I would imagine most people are like one wouldn't like the other though. But anyway, yeah. So we learned that uh, 2018's maybe deep. We learned there's there are some good horror films out. We're gonna get into Minari in a minute here, which is nominated for a uh, for best picture and, and several other awards. And we uh, we talked about Promising Young Woman a couple of months ago, which is nominated, and Nomadland, which I already brought up. We've got. The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I'm not really interested in watching. I don't really care for uh, Mr. Sorkin. But is, is um, what's his name, Borat, uh, uh, Sacha Baron Cohen, I think he might be nominated for that too. Let me look at the full list here. Oh, maybe the not. film has some nominations, but I don't know for what. Mm-hmm. Best original song, I think. Oh, for the Chicago 7 movie has best original song? No, no, Borat's subsequent movie film. Oh, yeah, I was just saying Borat because I, I blanked on his name for a second. But no, uh, which I liked Borat too. I don't know if, I don't think we talked about it on the show, but I, I liked it. But, um, uh, oh yeah, Sasha is nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Chicago 7. Uh, his co-star is nominated uh, for, Maria Bakalova is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Well, this is, I mean, look, all right, this is an interesting Best Supporting Actress slate here. We've got Amanda Seyfried for Mank, which is the other uh, Oscar-nominated, Best Picture-nominated film that I have seen, other than the three we'll have talked about on the show here. Then there's Olivia Colman for The Father, which is also nominated for Best Picture, which I'm not particularly interested in watching. Because she just got it for the favorite, so... Yeah, for the... I was going to try it. Do a circular joke back to the thing before, but just not worth it. Uh, then we've got Yoon Yajong. I'm maybe butchering that for Minari, which is the grandma in Minari. We'll get all into her in a minute. Uh, what? She was great, uh, but also a very, you know, I could definitely. It's a very Oscar type of role, certainly. Maria Bakalova, like I said, for Borat's subsequent movie film, and Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, which I believe was reviled kind of or something, or I don't. Uh, yeah, I hear it's a pretty dog shit movie um, that tells a pretty dog shit story that is largely made up, I think, we found out. But, you know, they, they like to make that kind of movie. So who do you think is going to actually win this? This is a pretty... You knew Jung? Maybe. I mean, she's I, I, I think grandmother unknown is in America, I would so, say, right? Or, yeah, or Carrie Mulligan. No, that's, uh, we're, uh, that's actress, so that's a different category for Mulligan. Uh, shit. It's just C- it's Seaford Coleman, Yujung, Bakalova, and Close. I've actually um, heard that Amanda Seaford is um, she's good in Mank. Um, like great, like like not good, like great in Mank. It didn't make me want to watch Mank, but uh, yeah, I guess I will actually. Mank is I, I like. I mean, it's a black and white film about old Hollywood, essentially. You know, uh, it's about the the writer of Citizen Kane, so. I guess he actually knew, which played by Gary Oldman, he he knew, not Oldman, but, you know, uh, the Mank knew, uh, why am I blanking now, on the, the famous, uh, the person Citizen Kane's based on, the newspaper guy. 
who's played by Charles Dance and and Mank, right? Uh, Hurst, uh, William Randolph Hurst. So he knew him kind of through, I guess, the Amanda Seyfried character who ended up marrying him. Obviously, he's a much younger woman marrying him, and then they were kind of they were friendly or whatever, you know, him and and uh, Randolph, but or Hurst, but um. Then there was obviously things he didn't like about Hearst, and then he wrote this, you know, scathing uh, portrayal of him in uh, Citizen Kane. So that's what the, well, the, the movie's about. He him, it, did he write it, or did Orson Welles write it, or did the well, other that, guy they write go it? into the that. whole thing, right? Yeah, like so in Mank, like he he was kind of ghostwriting it. I mean, like I guess Orson Welles wrote, co-wrote it, whatever, but but then wanted right. to be the sole writer. Yeah, it, the movie stipulates that like Howard Mankiewicz. Is that his name Howard? I can't remember. It might be. Uh... I, yeah, I understand that the movie stipulates that it is true that he wrote it. When it came out in November, there was just a really unbearable discourse about about the authorship of the screenplay for that movie. And I just completely checked out on Mank itself. Yeah. And when you're saying that movie, you're talking about Citizen Kane, not Mank itself, right? Yes. Because Mank apparently was written by David Fincher's father, who's been dead for years, I guess. So this is like a passion project for Fincher to make like a, a movie that his father wrote or something. You know, uh, I, I'm i happy for the people in the world who have a nice relationship <laughs> with their father. Uh, that, that's great for him. <laughs> well, no, uh, you're saying you, I don't Fincher. believe your father has passed on, but Eric, but if he does, uh, you won't write his movie. Uh, you won't get his movie made and directed uh, years down the line? Nah. His movie's dog shit. It's never gonna work. What? How crazy would that be if your dad actually had like an amazing screenplay and <laughs> you like found it? <laughs> Every three years, he talks to me about the screenplay that he has for uh, like just bouncing around his head. He never wrote it about this story Wait, this that he real? read about. Yes, the story okay. that he read about sometime 10, 15, 20 years ago about this American ship that won a British race or whatever. There's no story there. It's not like a master and commander. Well, what's the, what's the ship captain's name or whatever they call it? His name, does it, does it have a, like a long name that has like a fun shortener that we could do here? Like Cappy or something? I mean... I guess that'd be short for captain, but... <laughs> if you want to help me write my dad's dog shit screenplay after he dies, I mean, we can talk about it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, just, I don't want you to just throw it in the, in the trash out of spite or something. I mean, it might be good. Anyway, all right, though. all right, all right. I'm too close to it. I'm too close to it. <laughs> yeah. I, hopefully Charles Dance will still be alive then. We'll get him in, in there. But yeah, long story short, I enjoyed it because I could get sucked into the, I mean, I'm interested in old some old Hollywood stuff. At least I'm, I'm interested in the world. You know, I like it kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's beautiful black and white photography, etc. So, But I don't really want it to win Best Picture. It's annoying that, uh, you know, Whatever these awards mean nothing anyway, and but just like the voters will want whatever old uh, Hollywood, like an old Hollywood story is gonna be like yeah, the voters to the old voters. Problem. We know that. Yeah. Now getting to Minari a little bit here, we, we're we easing into uh, the uh, the main topic this time. But so so Parasite won last year, which I was happy about, and was one of the few years where I was like, oh, the best one of the movies I thought was the best actually won. I do think it would be pretty crazy if a korean film won two years in a row now this is a i guess an american yeah. film but it's korean language for the most part and it's mostly korean actors because parasite already won and hollywood feels like it did yeah. its job we stop thinking about korean people which is racist it's one of my favorite ones of this crop for sure mm. 
Yeah, and just to get it out of the way, I, re- I liked it a lot, too. I thought, it, I thought it was pretty great. But it's very more of a traditional type of story, even though the, the thing that makes it a little more unique, obviously, and interesting in that regard is because it's a Korean family in America, in Arkansas, your home state, which we'll certainly get into, but uh, or Arkansas, as I like to refer to it as, because I still hold, even though you just tried to dissuade me from this notion I still am of the belief that it was named that because people f- moved there from Kansas and were like, this is, they got in a argument or whatever, they moved there and were like, this is our Kansas now. And that makes more sense to me. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. that's what makes a Minari more, uh, obviously more noteworthy. However, Parasite was, a more, it was something I was like, oh, I haven't seen something like this, exactly like this before, which Minari I had. You know, a lot of the elements of it, at least. Uh, like well, I had said about... Americans don't make films about class consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who knows what, what the Roaring Twenties are going to bring over here. When the, I think leftism is on the rise. Uh, but I've just been on Twitch too long, maybe. So, Yoon Yejung is... Like, we talked about her. She, like, her, her role as a grandma is, like, a very... Uh, you know, I've seen that type of character many times does a great job very entertaining but you know what i mean uh steve yun is also nominated for best actor uh he was great i thought he's got a lot of charisma yeah yeah have we ever talked about burning on this show because that was his other big obviously he's mostly known for the Um, walking dead but that was his other big kind of indie film from a couple i think also from 2018 the deep year i don't think we talked about burning but uh, uh burning is a film that is very special to me that i love a lot I think you may have mentioned it when we, when we actually talked Parasite in that episode. I think you maybe tangentially brought it up now that I think of it. But yeah, yeah, he's very, uh, like you said, charismatic. He, he just has a very watchable presence. A lot of the shots, oh, you know what, I gotta, I almost forgot one of the other actually into the movies on, on Twitch here. I gotta get my screenshots up that I've taken, so let me find one of Mr. Yun. But I noticed a lot of, uh, well, here's him and the young boy, who's the main character, essentially. I know you can't see this, uh, Eric, unless you're jumping on my Twitch channel. But all right, so the the screenshot I have up now is him going. I think he's showing something in the field. The wife's behind him, but his arms are out like that. But the point being, a lot of the shots in the film are just like of him, his character, doing whatever, or just focusing on him. He's in like central in the frame, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, like that was where the camera was focusing a lot. I noticed. It also has a lot of the scenery. I mean, your home state looks pretty beautiful in this, I gotta say. I assume it was filmed there. I don't know for sure. I don't know if it's shot on location, um, but it does yeah. look quite a bit like Arkansas. Um, and it's like sometimes Arkansas is sometimes nice to look at if you catch it in the right season and you're in an area of Arkansas where the fields and surrounding countryside are actually like green places that look nice and not empty fields that haven't been farmed in 20 years but do have a rusted out 1982 chevy lumina sitting in them um as well as four or five inoperative non-operational uh john deere tractors yes mm-hmm. and uh and you're talking about modern day arkansas has those 1983 rusted out ones because like this movie takes place in the in the mid 80s right so yeah right this is it. when they planted all the 1982 <laughs> chevy luminas in those fields and of course like the Monsanto corn, it makes it impossible to grow anything else. So we're, we're just growing rusted out 1982 Chevy Luminas all over Arkansas, and it's all we've got anymore, man. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you being from Arkansas, you know that it's it's the place for some laid more laid back uh, chicken or chick sexers. Other guy, but not like they, like you couldn't hang from California where I live doing that. But uh, but back there in Arkansas, they're a little more. Yeah, a little more easygoing with that. They could take it a little slower on the. Uh, I, I mean, they said they they said over and over again she was fast enough for Arkansas, but, but God bless her, she wanted to be faster. Yeah, well, I think she improved during the film. Yeah, so this is for people who. I mean, we usually go into spoilers, which we will do again here. But I guess, you know, more final thoughts or not final thoughts, but general thoughts real quick before we do that. Yeah, like uh, the cinematography is great the shots the i think it was filmed on location there probably and it looks good acting's very good like i touched on a little bit it's it is more unique to have this story told from this american story told from that perspective and in the language not you know they are speaking korean the majority of the film with subtitles it uh and and it's it was very enjoyable and it was uh, actually a lot funnier than i was expecting i don't know if you yeah, yeah, it's pretty cute. Yeah, it, it's like cute, funny. It's not like, it's not like I'm actually laughing funny, you know. No, I mean it's not like my uh, my stand-up material or anything like that, or my improv, of course, certainly. Right. But but you know, yes, especially with the as involves the the aforementioned grandma and the son, who I believe is it's this is a at least semi-autobiographical story from the director, right? I wrote his name down. It's uh, Lee Isaac Chung. I don't know if he actually had the heart issue or whatever, but I think it was about his family, right? It, I mean, it feels very personal, even if it's not, like, details from his life, you know? Right. And this, I know I said spoilers, but this is the type of film that doesn't... If you're super sensitive about spoilers, I guess you could tune out at this point, but it's not like... Right. It's a story about a family with not a lot going on for them who moves to Arkansas to start a farm. And... That's- the story of the movie um, yeah and it's mainly told from the young boy's perspective who i'm i'm believing is a stand-in for the director himself or it's like his story essentially from real life easy to believe that yeah i, I yeah. don't know if it's true but so it's it's very much from his perspective for most of it but one of the main elements is the relationship between his parents steve young who we talked about and um the mother character well, unfortunately, I don't remember what that actress's name is, but because she was not nominated, so I can't read it off the thing here. But um, they uh, have a very contentious relationship where she was not happy to. It's basically his dream, essentially, is is to have his own farm and grow this stuff, and she would rather be. So this was was an interesting setup too, because like. From especially from watching a movie perspective, you're like the character, the Steve Young character, yeah. You're vibing with him because, like you said, he's charismatic. And even the character is, to some degree, you know, for an 80s dad, which is, is still pretty, you know, uh, yeah. a, a certain type. But you know what I mean? Like, so you want to root for someone with a dream. Yeah, at least from my perspective, I'm thinking about myself, my dreams, whatever. Like, yeah, why are you shutting this down or, you know, let's go with it. But then, on the other hand... Yeah, he's t- took his family to the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. Like when they get to the house, there's not even a step to like go into the shitty yeah. like house to like toil away on this you know farm, and they're still doing the the actual job that they're making money off of with the I think it's called sexing 
chickens or chicks. Chicken really. They yeah. throw out the they throw out the male ones. But anyway, so from that perspective, when the wife is complaining, like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's like she doesn't have, at least if they're in the big bigger city, uh, whatever, they could make more friends, have more social life, all this type of stuff. I think she would prefer to have stayed in California, whatever, whatever. So, but that's an interesting kind of setup to me. Like, I could see both perspectives a little bit. Well, and right, and it's important that it does give us the like, it does give us that Stephen Young's character's perspective, because it's kind of a, a bit about like, what does it mean to be like charismatic and a and a good dad, and you know, like really having your family's best interests at heart, and be wrong. Yeah. Like he, like he's losing these arguments because he should be losing these arguments, right? Yeah, I guess that's where we could. All right, so I will say full spoilers at this point because I want to talk about this. And so he does. Like, what do you think about that? Does he actually care more about? I mean, what where the movie ends up, he realizes to care more about his family. But at a certain point, toward the end of the film, they kind of set it up like he cares more about his farm, like what he wants to do with this farm than his actual family it seems like um, and i even over his life right like he was yeah. before the the like ending sequence he was willing to let his family just move away because he was stuck here i have decided right. to do this and i'm going to do and it. he says and he says i want my kids to not to see me succeed at something but he's saying that in the place of they could see him succeed when like he'll be have what have a successful business or farm when his wife has divorced him and taken the kids away, but he'd rather right. have them see the success anyway, I guess. So I, t- I have a screenshot up right now that kind of uh, shows the... I think I took a nice screenshot here that shows the uh, a visual representation of what I'm talking about. It's him not in focus, but he's at the front of the frame here, looking behind at the other three of his family members who are together back behind on a path. So I'm leaving that up on the screen now. But also the one main, the one thing where they really uh, showed it. Actually, I have a screenshot of this too, I believe, is where well, when they actually have their blow up kind of at the end, where they like think it, they agree to essentially separate before something happens that causes them to stay together. He uh, okay. So I have the screenshot now that says, "Mom must be in shock. She's speechless." That was outside after he just made the deal at the store, you know. So. This was a good screenplay for this film. Like I, I said, it is, it is like fairly familiar territory overall, but I think it's a very good screenplay, and I liked this part especially where they so they go to the son's doctor's appointment, whatever, and they find out that he actually is doing a lot better than they thought, and it's, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if this did really happen to the director, and then obviously he's still alive today making movies, so maybe something like this did happen where. He got better after he had a serious heart condition. And, like, the father's bringing the, his, like, prized, you know, sample yeah, yeah. into the hospital. And then he, like, doesn't have too much of a reaction when they find out from the doctor. Or at least compared to the reaction he has when he actually makes the deal right after that to sell his goods. Uh, which get mostly burned up in a fire anyway. Which kind of causes them to realize that they should stay together and it's things more important. You know, whatever. But that was interesting to me. Like, I don't know. It's a good character. It's a good character, and they did a good job setting that up. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you said earlier, like, I, I, I do think it is a really, really good screenplay. Like, it does six or seven things that you'd like a movie to do two or three of, right? I mean, it has the commentary on the immigrant experience and the children rejecting the Koreanness of the grandmother, and then it's like, oh, actually, it's our Koreanness that saved us because 
here's all this extra vegetation that she planted in the creek. The titular Minari, which I don't exactly... It's like some type of celery or something? Looks like cilantro. Okay. Oh, yeah, and it's also doing this other thing about families. The, I mean, the thing that almost split this family was ultimately the thing that showed us that we could, in fact, not live without each other, right? It works constantly on the, the actual story, and then it does what a good screenplay does, which is... Actually, this is about these other things that I'm weaving into it. And if you just read the subtitles, just like eagle-eyed focus on the subtitles, uh, you, you could miss some of the like really important stuff, like the way the characters interact, the way they're looking at each other, whatever. But yeah, I mean, I just thought it was like extremely effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll take some notes for, for when we punch up your dad's screenplay. But um, the... That's right, not about the ship about the characters <laughs> yeah the so the characters so we talked about her a little bit but the grandma is kind of the standout you know character obviously of the film she comes in to babysit a little bit and give them some was she supposed to be in california or did she move all the way from korea to arkansas and wasn't exactly sure but neither was i i, but, I know when she gets there she brings in like korean like foods that the that's that's that played by because we didn't say it earlier yuri han the, the, like the, the mother really missed I don't know if that's because they could get them in California yeah that's what I was thinking too yeah. northwest Arkansas or if she came from Korea with them I have no fucking idea but uh, anyway you know so the what's I'm so bad at remembering character names but uh, he the, uh, is Daniel Danny, Daniel okay Daniel or is David it? maybe it's David sounds a little more right it's David Okay, so David, um, who's, I think, what, he's supposed to be, like, six years old, maybe, something like that in this, and he's the older sister, so that's the five family members, so he doesn't think she is, so she's a very kind of salty, you know, grandma character, swearing, etc., very funny, I thought, but he doesn't initially think she is, like, a grandma. Well, he presents her, like, he presents everything about her, he presents her, like, for her very Koreanness, right? Like, it's a big part of it, certainly, the, yeah. the, the totem of the Mountain Dew versus, like, the, the tea that she wants him to drink because she thinks it'll oh, right. uh, feel better. <laughs> we should, um, we should uh, talk. I want to touch on that real quick. Yeah, the Mountain Dew was, yeah, that was yeah. very funny. That's the type of thing that works on me well, you know. And then, but the grandma's getting into it as well, too, then. Um, the Mountain Water. Now, I think that that is just because they don't know because they're Korean, right? Because even in the 80s, people didn't actually think. I felt like, like the kids were told the grandmother that their dad said it was healthy so that she would not give them shit about drinking it. Okay, but even before she shows up, there is a scene of like them having it for breakfast, right? <laughs> right, where he says... Again, it's the 80s, like the, care, the parents aren't too attentive to that sort of thing, I guess, but they're obviously must yeah. be buying it. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, people telling this kind of story, like often... like you will hear them reference that, like, they did want to be less Korean. And, and, like, of course, like, that's the wrong choice because it disconnects you, or it could be the wrong choice because it disconnects you from all the things that your family experienced. I don't know. But it's a very American thing, so, because, like, they are, like, it is a good portrait of a Korean-American family, at least from the kids are growing up. Presumably his director uh, grew up like this, and so he is probably a very Korean and American all at the same time. Because the kids also, David's also speaking English and Korean throughout. Like, the kid, the, t- the kids, the brother and sister speak English to when they just talk to each other. They're mostly speaking English. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, so we could talk about this for an hour more, probably, of all that that sort of thing. 
but I want to touch on a couple other things, I guess, from... So, also, the, the other... The main character that's not part of the family is played by Will Patton, who is a... Will Patton, king of the character actors. What a right, fucking right. king. No, yeah, he's great. He lifted all out in the field for this one, too, certainly. So, he's, like, a super kind of religious guy, but he's a but good guy, basically. Well, he's so religious that he's, like, dragging a, a cross around <laughs> on Sunday. Electricity that I felt in my actual body when, when I saw what kind of person the Will Patton character was going to be. Like, those people exist, and it is mm. hilarious and terrifying to meet them in all the, all the actual ways <laughs> that the Will Patton character was in this mm. go-on. But, like, so yeah. delightful. It's just a but, good choice. But also, he's not... So the character is not bigoted either, which is is interesting, too. Because, like, you think... I mean, I know you're from there, but I, I think Arkansas is not a one of the more progressive states, especially in the uh, 80s. I so. so it's like, I think he was even in the Korean War, this character, and mentions that at the beginning, but he doesn't hold resentment over that. Um, and he likes Korean culture to some degree because he like, eating dinner with them, he's like, oh, more of this kimchi, whatever. Uh, he tells uh, Stephen Young they're gonna be friends, whatever. And Young gets kind of like fed up with him at from point to point, especially when he's like trying to heal the grandma or whatever. But uh, it's, it's good, an interesting character as well. And I, I was also kind of thinking, even with what the where what the perspective of this film is, like a lot of times you see like a film with you know white people or whatever type of movie, and then there's like the one Asian character that acts weird or that's like this other different type person and they flipped it essentially in this where that's, that's what kind of what Will Penn's yeah. character is, you know? So anyway, like I said, we could talk about this a lot more. No, I want to, I'm itching to get to Tampopo. Uh, let's talk Tampopo. Well, let's wrap it up. I guess, is there anything else you want to mention? Oh, there is one other thing. That's a good transition by me. Is there anything else you want to mention? Never mind. I have something. The, but I did write this down because I thought of it. I was wondering, do you think there is, what was, chung trying to imply if anything with some of the things where it seemed like there was like some type of cause and effect thing going on where because like religion is a big theme in the film the mother is fairly religious that's another interesting switch too because like her mother the grandma's not and rightfully so thinks what she's telling the son is harmful to some degree but a lot of times you would see like the older person being the religious one but not here and then, you know, the patent character, et cetera. Like, religion is a big theme here. But, so, like, the mom thinks, like, things that she does, like, directly affect, you know, whatever. And she's telling yeah. her, her son, pray to go to heaven, or it, not, uh, more specific than that, right? Like, you'll, Pretty I'm trying to remember. Have, yeah, um, yeah. I think there's, there's a couple of cause and effect type things like this. But the one, the main one I thought of was where, so the kid, understandably, David is, uh, having a hard time with this idea, the praying heaven idea, because he really does have like a serious heart issue. And then the grandma tells him, essentially the grandma kind of takes it on, and but then literally she has a stroke and is like sick, and then he's like gets better, essentially. And I think there was a couple other things in the movie that had kind of similar things like this, but I'm trying to remember. But are they trying to say anything... Is that just what a co- I would think it's a coincidence, right? Because I don't believe in this stuff, but and the movie, right. I mean, but literarily, like, yeah, none of that shit is coincidence. You're supposed to read the parallels there. I should be reading more books and watching more serious movies and watching fewer uh, YouTube ghost hunting compilations. 
because I, I didn't pick up on any of that. And like, that's the, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that like makes you more interested in an already like great thing. And, oh, I caught that, you know, in the third act, what he was doing was paralleling this small bit from the first act that he brought up very briefly. <laughs> I um, can't tell if you're complimenting me right now, backhanded complimenting I am, me. I am complimenting you. Like, that's or what, what you're uh, doing, okay. <laughs> or like, complimenting the kind of the my music school brain is like constantly asking me to look for in the past and like i'm just like out of practice i guess so okay so you didn't necessarily pick up on that maybe or do you think you think it was just like that's how movies are kind of but i was just wondering from the perspective of the writer director because for the most part he seemed like a very especially because it's a lot of his own life i think it seemed pretty straightforward and the david little kid character does like he acts like a little kid of course but it doesn't seem like he would grow up to be super religious or something you know whatever or believe in all these like life events meaning something or whatever, all this stuff. But but when you actually look at some of the things that happen, literally, it does kind of imply that. Or is that just because like it makes yeah, like we said, it's a good screenplay and that makes it for a more. Well, I mean, I, I think that comes from telling the story from the child's perspective, right? Because children do believe weird shit like that. Where like if if I'm suddenly better, if my heart condition is you know not a condition anymore but my grandmother had a stroke and can't speak words and is fumbling around the house and like not really a human nor the person that i recently grew to love um yeah I mean, kids do see a connection between those things sometimes uh, it makes perfect sense to me that that would be an intentional parallel of the film was trying to draw and it's an interesting point so what you just said reminded me when i was thinking of where at the end like so she lights the thing on fire because she's stumbling around you know uh, yeah, she does light a thing on fire. Uh, the crops, the barn, which is the whole big conclusion. But that happened after what we kind of talked about with the dad making the deal, whatever. And then choosing to essentially agreeing to separate and do this instead. But then it, it stopped because of that. So, like, yeah, I don't know. Because with the kid's perspective thing, like, you're right. But also, it is literally what happens, like, in the film. It's not just, like, his... Unless you're supposed to think like he's remembering this from a child, but it's not really done in that style. This film, so it is pretty, you know, like I said, straightforward. Like this is, you know, what happened. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no narrator, but it definitely. You were right to note uh, earlier that he just told from like David's perspective. Yeah. So if there's any hint of magical realism or the assumption that something totally normal that happened was in some way like supernaturally influenced, because kids um, are like that. Yeah. And I don't think you have to be a huge movie, a film buff, or anything, and study this stuff to to realize it's told from his perspective. Like that, that that's pretty obvious. Like to, I think even to a casual viewer. Um, I don't say short, buddy. <laughs> but so that's Minari. Uh, yeah, we both liked it a lot, obviously. And uh, yeah, good celebration of Arkansas or Arkansas, your uh, native land. It's a place that exists. And no one needs to look into it. Don't waste your time. You'll only find out that it does, in fact, exist. And we don't need to talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. If you're slow at the chick stuff, you can uh, check in stuff. You can get a job, maybe. And uh, the Mountain Dew flows and the Minari grows. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. So I also wrote this. I was trying to, you know, I the classic film we were looking at this week is Tampopo, which I watched for the first time, as did you course it was my idea to watch it <laughs> so i do think there is some uh, there here's the parallel that i forced together on this one here often we do stretch for a parallel to make our what is it called i don't know if we have a name for it i mean it's just the 
the the pairing I call it I guess like the the new film classic film. What's it called when you screen like two movies right together? Like double feature. Sure. I don't. I feel like there's a. I feel like there's a cooler word. Anyway, often we do stretch to make this. You know, to give it a theme. But it sounds like Drew really got one for you here. So. Okay. Well, yes. I, I was setting myself up again. Well, though, here's what I've got for this. So. Minari is an Eastern Eastern culture travels to the West in the 1980s and melds, etc. You know, whatever. And then Tampopo is a movie that actually came out in the 1980s itself, 1985, and it takes place in the East, but it's done in the style, in like a Western film style, or I would even say almost even a parody of Western film at some point. So that's my that's what I got. All right, you're you're not impressed, sounds, and maybe you sh- maybe you shouldn't be. No, but I do. I mean, I think there's something there. Like there is. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, that's our theme. We're sticking to it. Um, All right, fine, and there's fine, something fine. there. There's something there. <laughs> but anyway, this this is by Juzo Itami. I believe this is the only film I've seen from him, but he has others. I I think he's fairly a fairly infamous director. I there's even a so he I guess committed suicide in like artists yeah this came out in 85 i think in maybe 95 or something like that but i was even like reading up on him a little bit and there's some speculation this may i don't know how founded this is or whatever there's some speculation like he might have actually been killed by the yakuza and they set it up to look like a suicide or something like that because like i guess he did another film after this that was like pretty scathing toward them or something so i but that might again that might just be people wanting the more interesting story or something but anyway uh i thought that was noteworthy but so tampopo no, his last was in 1989 and he died in 1997 he died in 97 oh what was in 89 the yakuza film i don't know his last film was in oh, his last film. Okay. sweet home oh well i don't know this oh, is sorry, 80- that's an actor that's as an actor i'm stupid yeah because i think he i think <laughs> he directed a film in 1997 called Woman in Witness Protection. Maybe that's in translation lost. And maybe it's a better title. Anyway, I'd never seen this. I had heard the name before. Um, and I think um, another podcast I listened to recently, you know, fairly recently, the person on that said they just watched it for the first time. They thought it was uh, very good. So, yeah, I was keen to see it. It's on HBO Max if people have that. It is about a... So, like I said, it's like a almost a parody at some points, but it's very hard to pin down a genre on this film, I would say. I mean, overall, it's a comedy, is kind of. But what would you say the genre of this is? It's a mess-around movie. <laughs> okay. What's another mess-around movie, just so there's some context for that comparison? Uh, what's another mess-around movie? Good question. This isn't like a genre of film that I'm like ever that interested in watching. What's another mess around movie, dog? What what is it? I don't it know. Well, that's of? what I was saying. Like, I don't think this this is not easily placed in the genre. Like, it goes all over the place a little bit. But it's, so it's kind of unique. I think like it's kind of set up initially, at least like a western. Like I said, west, east, whatever. But like an actual like western film, even though it takes place in modern day at the time. Uh, Japan. Well, and it has Ken Watanabe playing uh, John Wayne. <laughs> he's playing the like. Uh, he's more more accurately, I should say, he's playing Clint Eastwood, right? Um, he's playing a very well. No, you're character. you're talking about that's the main character, but uh, Watanabe plays the is the younger guy. 
I think his name's Gun. Goro is played by Goro's the man, uh, yeah. Tutomu Yamazaki. Yeah, who's very good in this. I, I liked him a lot. I'm, he looked yeah, familiar to me, but I couldn't quite place him what I've seen him in. But, uh, but I mean, He looks familiar to me, too. So Ken Watanabe is in this also, like you said. He's the, the kind of his sidekick. Or he plays a man named Gun. Gun, yeah. And he was probably like, like, like 25 or something in this. So um, He's a baby. Yeah, so it's a Western setup where you like go into a town. People, the locals there are making trouble, or they don't want you know whatever, or they're making trouble for someone else. And yeah, the Clint Eastwood or whoever it is steps in, you know. But in this, instead of like the old West, it's like a ramen shop, and instead of training a kid or whoever, the person getting yeah in trouble from who whatever outside forces, the Western cowboy training that person to shoot or whatever. It's training the person how to make good ramen. Um, so, yeah. So, it's a, But even before that starts, actually, let me get my, my screenshots back here. I got some for these two. So the start of the movie is like a meta start, essentially, where this gangster character who is... So also this movie just has vignettes throughout, which I liked, so... And makes it more unique. Uh, that have nothing to do I with the main plot at all. I didn't love that touch at all. Okay, so um, you didn't like that. So that was one of the main things I liked the most about it. So already we're at a uh, <laughs> at a difference of opinion here. But okay, I have the screenshot up of the gangster character with his girlfriend at the the film. So yeah, the movie starts with this gangster type guy uh, showing up to a movie, and he starts like literally talking to the screen, basically telling. It's like almost a precursor to like what you would see at a movie now when they tell you to like silence your cell phones or et cetera, and they do like right. a little video but this is the character in the movie actually doing this this gangster character comes back throughout he never interacts with the main characters at all but they just cut to him in different things he has a very him and his girlfriend are into some kind of food play with sex it would seem um uh yeah some really interesting scenes involving food (laughs) i have another screenshot up right now uh uh, that my roommate extremely just walked past me watching. Very embarrassing. Fucking weird. And, like, they don't... The point of those scenes is to let you know that, like, this is a love letter to food. Yeah. This whole movie is a love letter to food and maybe the Western and some other tropes that probably I didn't recognize because I'm not a uh, fan of classic Japanese cinema. Mm. But... Yeah, well, I think it was. I don't think there's a lot of Japanese cinema tropes in this. I think it is mostly different other cultural things that they're going for. I didn't um, recognize those either. Yeah. It, it's a little surrealist, I guess. So, like, have you ever seen any Boonwell films? Uh, no. Okay, so he's, like, one of the most famous directors of all time. And he has... And why I've heard of him. That, uh, because, well, he. I guess he didn't do any ghost movies but yeah no but he, he's like a surrealist director right like he had a crazy long career where he had movies back in like the 1920s initially all the way through to like the 70s have you ever seen like the this eye getting cut open and like in black and white like a dog's eye that's like a very film school type of thing or something i think or film school. uh i'm familiar with parodies of that image yeah okay yeah but that's so that was him and like the 70s 60s 70s he has like a lot of these surrealist type films that have kind of things kind of similar to this in some some ways where it's like different vignettes of things like that, whatever. So that was kind of reminding me of that. This was kind of reminding me of that. I have the scene up right now where, or the screenshot now of them 
doing the egg back and forth between the mouth. Oh there. my god! <laughs> uh, I'll take that off the what screen. Is it? That's not a thing. That's not no. a sex act. You just pass the yolk of an egg between one person's mouth and another person's mouth. Well, until there, one of them it, apparently it is. You're just not savvy on that. Tim Popo invented uh, it, maybe. I have a screenshot now of the guy getting handcuffed, so that was a vignette where a con man is trying to con this guy who's really conning him for a free meal, but then the cops are there to bust him. The, so you didn't, I, I get if you didn't like the gangster stuff with the, their weird thing, um, but you didn't like the other stuff like with the... The guy goes to dinner with all his bosses, and like they're all at, at this like gourmet restaurant. They don't know what uh, to order. They all order the same thing. They basically don't know how to read the menu, essentially, of the fancy French food. And then like the junior employee, whatever, is getting who seems like he's uh, obviously doesn't belong with the rest of them. Uh, all of a sudden, starts asking the waiter all these, impressing the waiter with all these like gourmet questions, whatever. That was pretty funny. I thought. Yeah, I also want. I, I really, really want the meal that he ordered. Yeah, it sounded good. He got a nice champagne, I think, with it. Uh, and then uh, that cuts to uh, the spaghetti. The, the, so this woman is, like, teaching a class on how to eat spaghetti properly at this restaurant. Uh, yeah, so that, one I, that one served a purpose that I could identify, right? The slurping. Yeah, this goes back to my East-West thing because her whole, like, point is, like, if you go travel to the West... Uh, eat this Italian food, whatever you have to do it this way. You can't like make a scene of yourself slurping your spaghetti, whatever you have to do. It. But then there's a uh, clearly a white like Western guy, right? That they can all see who's like slurping his spaghetti. So then they, they just all start doing it. Um, yeah, right, right. Well, that's like clearly a comment on like how you're supposed to eat ramen, which is just slurp the shit out of it, mm-hmm. and, and how like that's not done in Western cultures. Like, I'm constantly, even like even knowing that, I'm constantly, like, dabbing my face and mm. making sure to hold my face over the bowl and just, like, I'm, I yeah. bite the noodles off. You get your spoon, right? And you twist it like spaghetti, right? You twist it up in the spoon. Right, uh, right, right. Um, like, that one served, a, served like, a purpose as far as, like, a cultural commentary or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, I think I'm sure that they all served a purpose. It's just, I'm not familiar enough with cinema from Japan or the Westerns that he was referencing. That's what or I... the surrealist film movement. Yeah. Uh, and for, from my perspective, it made an 80-minute film, a uh, two-hour and five-minute film, and that was annoying to me. Dang. So you're saying if they cut that out, it would be a shorter, quicker film. I get it. Yeah, so I do think it was more about the comedy and the surrealism, et cetera, than about trying to do some commentary. I, I liked it, but, well, but what do you think about the, um, the main actual film? taking all that itself. I thought it was a really cute mess around. Uh, I thought it was very sweet. So at the very beginning, when Ken Watanabe and the uh, other guy, Goro Tsutomi Yamazaki, pull up in front of the ramen right? And he gets into a fight in the rain with the like local drunkards that are eating the bad noodles that um, Tampopo herself is serving. There's this like, really sturm und drang, just really angsty classical music playing. That is the beginning of the fourth movement of Mahler's uh, First Symphony, which is one of my favorite composers, one of my favorite pieces by one of my favorite composers. And just, this is a trick that I really, really appreciated, where like, they show that like, the fight happens off screen and stops before you see any fighting. And if anyone watching the movie knows that piece of music, like 
it stops. The, the scene stops and the music stops right before we get to the really fun, cool part that everyone listens to that uh, movement for, uh, which I thought was a really neat trick and really set me up for like, I mean, I mean, I'll go where you want to take me. You, you want to watch me, uh, you want to make me watch two people dip themselves in food and not fuck? Um, sure. <laughs> All right. So, okay, so that's a very interesting perspective you have then with the, the classical music background, because obviously I didn't pick up on any of that. So it is pairing well again. Like, in Minari, I had my thing, you know, and then you have your thing for its hands. Texting chicken being your thing that, uh, that, that, you, right. that you knew. Yeah. Yeah. No, but... Um, but so yeah, so it's uh, basically they they um, te- they train her up, or mostly he Goro, I guess is the character's name, trains Tampopo up on how to have a good ramen shop, and they get other people involved. They they meet a rich guy who has like a private chef who gets involved, um, which a good little recurring joke with the rich guy too, where his wife or whoever leaves him saying like, you can't order all the stuff that's bad for you or whatever. And then if he orders it right away, of course, um, and like starts having a tempo to revive him, like gives him CPR or something like that. Right. That's all. So that's how she gets him up. Shop back to get it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and then, uh, oh, they get like an old man in who's like a master kind of, um, who like lives on the street kind of with like homeless people essentially, but they're like gourmet type homeless people that go get food from like different places. Um, the, the way that the one, um, what do they call them? Vagrants in the movie? I don't remember, but, um, Var- it's not, anyway, um, the way that the, the one is describing the wine that he, that he found five centimeters of, uh, is, is also a really memorable moment. And then, <laughs> it's a bad year in France. That's right. Yeah, that's funny. And the guy, the one guy, brings Tampobo's son. Like, like says he wants like eggs, some type of omelets or something. So he like sneaks him into a place, like fries it all up, and they get him. They just go out the back after that. Uh, yeah. So I, I just like this because like it, it is, I like the world that sets up essentially with all this different stuff in it, uh, mostly revolving around food, obviously. Um, which is cool. Like I like them going to the different uh, shops and like saying what's good and what's not, what they're doing wrong, etc. Like the the guys that talk too much, they're like, oh, they're you know, there's not going to be that good because they're spending too much time talking with the customers, or whatever, and they're not focused on right, the right, right. food. The one guy like tells Tampopo goes to one shop and like tries to figure out what's going on with the recipe but like the guy uh figures out that she's like he's like oh you're a, i could tell you're a pro like i'm not telling you this stuff whatever and then like his neighbor t- had he uh says like he can get the recipe if she gives him money or whatever and it's like it's like a peephole like into his kitchen um but yeah, yeah. I think honestly, we talked about anime a lot last time. So I was I was telling you, I was saying just now, it's not a lot of Japanese film references in this. I don't believe it's like mostly parody or otherwise. It's doing Western or other or, well, French is still Western, right? So it's doing like American Western cowboy stuff, kind of French uh, new wave stuff. Especially the gangster at the end is like a very like Jean Luc Godard type of ending. Um, 
Uh, but but so it's doing that. But I do now that I think about it, it does have a little bit of that Japanese vibe, of, like that a lot of animes have, what, setting up these kind of worlds that have all this goofy shit in it and all different things like that. So so right, I, right. I guess it is it is like a, a blending of that. Anyway, so so where did you land on this? Like overall, where do you you are you unhappy? I I made you watch it or. No, I liked it. Um, it was a really lovely little film. Um, it like it's a really nice mess around movie. Um, yeah, you're gonna get this going, I think. Mess around is the new genre. Yeah, all dogs go to heaven. Another mess around movie. Well, hold <laughs> on. They uh, oh, um, did you also told you uh, you should order? You should have postmate some ramen uh, while you watch it. But I assume you, I assume you would have mentioned if you had done that. I actually did. Um, I did order uh, ramen. I used Grubhub. Thank you. Oh, you did? No okay, ad. nice. No free ads. Fuck Postmates, right? Well, you could shout out the actual restaurant in New York you got it from. It was good. Uh, I don't want to shout out the restaurant in New York because I was disappointed, but I don't think that was mm. the restaurant's fault. I got a vegetable-based broth, um, and what happened with vegetable-based broths on delivery, which is something that I just learned today, um, is that they get cold and they also yeah. absorb the uh the woodier mushrooms muddiness and i didn't really like it although the aftertaste that the overall like and here the umami quality was still there for you right here i am emulating the people in the movie on purpose right (laughs) but the aftertaste that the uh muddy over stewed vegetable broth left in my mouth did taste really great when um my cigarette toasted it so (laughs) oh man yeah so you're yeah, you have you had a very '80s meal where you uh, you chow it down and then you light the cigarette up after throw the butt in the. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, they they smoke so much in this movie. Like, I'm trying to not smoke cigarettes. Oh, uh, yeah, they sorry smoke so about much. That. <laughs> I literally have, to have one. Don't blame the movie. I know. I I know. I know you're not a stranger to this movie. Didn't make you do. You were blowing a square down right before we talked to Nomadland too. So. <laughs> that's probably true but yeah so i guess ramen is probably not the best uh, it's a little tough delivery wise so uh nah, i ordered the wrong thing i know i don't like the way those woodier mushrooms taste what is what is are you saying woody or witty what are what do you i don't even Wood- understand mushrooms the the little the, the the stringy stuff that isn't seaweed the like long brown stuff that comes in ramen like the bean sprouts no I don't like mushrooms, so I don't order anything with it anyway. But if I'll it's text only you a picture of it. But it's okay. um. Oh, I knew I, I. I don't have a screenshot of this. I should get a screenshot of the of ramen scene. Up. Oh yeah, I have the I have the shot of her looking over the broth with the duck in it. Yeah, I was just trying to ask what whatever your word you're saying before mushroom is like what the type of mushroom it is, or is it an adjective? That's what I was not figuring out. Oh yeah, it's the it's the type of mushroom. Got it. Got it. Oh yeah, the screenshot up of Watanabe with the master that from the beginning, where that guy was showing. I guess that is the guy that comes back later in the film, right? I didn't place that at the time, maybe. But who's telling him the order of how to do everything? Like eat this first. You like s- smell the broth, and then you stir it around. Then you first start oh, with it. Yeah, yeah. And it'll that- make this guy so full of shit, but also it's making me hungry. Yeah. No, yeah. If you are going to watch this movie at home, I would definitely suggest getting some 
ramen along with it or some type of food because it will make you hungry for sure and then yeah when uh, the shot of tampopo at the end that's not the right one here we go with her chef's head on and her nice uh, kitchen her nice uh, redone kitchen that looks oh funny. yeah i guess we never said this order. is uh <laughs> this is a western style mess around movie uh where two uh travelers teach a widow how to make the perfect bowl of ramen and then you know move on down the trail so you don't think uh not gun that's what's an but you don't think uh goro and tempopo got it on before he hit the dusty trail at the end they do go on like a date essentially at one point and and he gets wet from the rain and he goes in the bath the way she's looking i I mean i think listen the amount of times the people who weren't a part of this movie were shown fucking in this movie uh, i'm i'm sure goro and tempopo they definitely hooked up right but he does just like refuse to say goodbye and as she's serving her first customers with her perfect bowl of ramen just like leave well that's going back to the western you know the exactly so anyway yeah good i think it's a cult classic for a reason and uh, i'm interested to check out some more of itami's work whether he was really killed by the yakuza or not he had apparently what i might watch next if i can find it I think in 80, this is 85. In 87, he has a film called A Taxing Woman, which stars the same two main characters, I believe. Uh, the The actress who plays Tam Popo in this plays a some type of tax. I, I was trying to say IRS, but whatever the, yeah, the Japanese version. But the one who who's like looks, she plays, I guess, like someone who looks who tries to find the fraud or whatever, who's like goes undercover or something like to do that. Maybe not even going undercover, but auditor. Yeah. Like an auditor for it. So, and then the Goro actor plays like the guy who's moving his money around, hiding it, that she's like, a reunion. Do they fall in love? I bet they do. I think that might be the plot, but, uh, yeah, a taxing woman, I believe it's called. So I might look out for that next, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Good thing I ate earlier today already because I'd probably be getting a, a big meal earlier because I'd probably be getting hungry for ramen again right about now. Nah, What's dude. It? I watched the trailer and like within 15 seconds of the trailer, uh, I was like, ah, there's no way I'm watching this without ordering ramen. Okay, good. So I didn't need to tell you then. After. No. All right. Well, uh, unless you have anything else to say on the matter, I think that's going to about do it for that old conversation. Uh, you know, I do, do just want to say one thing. You haven't picked a movie in a while That's that I just hated. Okay. That I just did not like. Um, good taste, but. Okay. And I feel like, I feel like there was some energy there. That like there there was some fire that these podcasts have been missing with me just like really not liking the movie that you picked. So, <laughs> but see, I don't like. So I never purposely. <laughs> okay, I see what you're saying, but. When it comes to, like, a face in the crowd or whatever like this, like, I, I pick movies that I think are good. Like, I, I'm not expecting you to not, not like them. But you want more sure, of the, sure. I get what you want more of the, the, uh, uh I was It's not about me. I'm just helping you make good radio. Yeah. Helping us make good. Helping Twitch us live make stream good radio. Later, it's a podcast. So, yeah, this, uh, most people would not be watching this live right now, so it should be available uh, soon on on a Brooklyn Rebound Network podcast, but I guess 
that is pointless to say because if you're hearing this, you're probably listening to it on that anyway. But uh, yes, exactly. And um, on that on Brooklyn Rebound Network, we had, uh, we should have another uh, NBA based show out uh, soon as well, or probably out as of now. If it's not, go back and listen to the other one. Me and my boy, and now I'm talking some Nets, general NBA stuff, standings, playing games uh, for the playoffs. And then I interviewed an interesting guy named Laundry Shamwow. So, really? Look out for that. Certainly wasn't Enam doing a character. Check that out. I fucking hate you guys. Laundry Shamwow, he's Landry Shamit shooting coach, yeah, but he also runs a laundromat and does it there. It's a good bed, you'll hear it. It's a, it's a real classic Brooklyn hustle, I get it. Exactly. So check that out. And check out Drew's uh, views on YouTube and hopefully soon to be doing some stuff over here on Twitch with that as well. Maybe I'm try- gonna got a scheme to maybe get some people over to this platform for my channel here on Twitch from YouTube and maybe uh, you could even get involved in the feature with that as well e-nom sure but yeah do you have any uh, you usually don't have uh, plugs that they're all around I, obviously you're not plugging that uh, shoddy a vegetable ramen shop in uh, in the city there but I I, I really think the Tokatsu is probably um, better than what I ordered uh, yeah, I'm, that's I'm what not you gotta gonna... get with ramen that pork tonkatsu baby is spicy please Maybe I do want the ramen still, even though I said it. <laughs> Damn, all right, let's end. Uh, well, yeah, check out, check you out right here. Yeah. Catch me in the streets. All right, and I guess enjoy the Oscars if you're going to watch that uh, Sunday. But more importantly, just watch some of the good films like Minari, uh, Nomadland, etc. And uh, just watch, get cultured like me and watch more films. I'm trying to get Eric on it with this project here. I think it's working. He's gonna be a. Uh, he's gonna forget all of the classical music stuff, and uh, it's all gonna be replaced with Boonwell, uh, surrealism, mezzan scene, all of this stuff. It's going in there. So I also love that you're mispronouncing that you're talking about how cultured you are, and you just mispronounce mise en scène. What I'm uh, American, all right. So I'm still sure. Uh, sure. Sure. Go go ahead and watch. Go ahead and watch uh, some of these films here. All right. I, I think the director did a good job setting up this Maison Singh. Is that a character? Will that work for my next Brooklyn Rebound uh, a character? Eight point five out of ten. You can tweak it a bit. Okay. I'll study. I'll go look. Watch some some Patton and study his work. Uh, put on that that uh, that ratty T-shirt with holes in it. And, start dragging across around and <laughs> the gibberish that he speaks in that movie people really do that uh, i guess i i guess i will take your word for it and i don't disbelieve you yeah well if you're from arkansas especially enjoy 501 that's right oh they did go pretty deep in the tourney this year in march madness didn't quite get it done but uh yeah the razorbacks Arkansas is coming up. Maybe Minari will win after all. Who knows? We'll see. But, uh, yeah, that'll do it for us. Till next time, we're going to be up on out of here. Peace. Peace.